All right, guys. This is your host Shane with Radical Rocks. I want to thank you all for tuning in today, dealing with a lot of technical difficulties, but we have a very exciting episode for you today. Oh yeah, Radical Rocks are everywhere, guys. I want to thank you all for tuning in today. We are dealing with, here, a power outage for over two hours. I uh, got the generator going, plugged in the internet, plugged in um, my computer and uh, a light, and also, most important, the coffee pot. So I'm ready to go. Today we've got a really exciting episode. We're going to talk about some new minerals. Uh, there was one that uh, was found, uh, leper sonanite, which had in it a new mineral that was just recently discovered, even though the uh, leper sonanite was discovered in the 80s. This other one was also discovered just recently. Also, they found a brand new mineral from a volcano from deep within the earth, they had hypothesized that this mineral existed, and they found it in the middle of a diamond. Um, we're going to talk about the chlorite mine in New Mexico. We're going to talk about morganite. We're going to talk about Marie Antoinette's diamonds. They're going to auction. That's pretty exciting. What about a diamond tester? If you want to buy a diamond tester, we'll talk about those for a couple minutes. The moon. It's got enough O2, apparently, for to last us 100,000 years. Also, big-nosed dinosaur. We're going to talk about that. And something, kids, plug your ears. The penis worm. Yes, a wonderful fossil that was found. We'll talk about that. Um, gold rush. We're going to talk about Arizona Cave Creek history. And so much more, guys. So I really want to thank you for going to RadicalRocks.com. Um, I've kind of been kicking back and forth if I'm going to be able to keep the website going. Um, I got let go from my regular employment, so I am trying to figure out something to do to cut my expenses and uh, probably going to start a handyman business. So that's where I'm going right now with that, um, but we'll see how it goes. I'll try to keep the website going. I still have the social media. You can check us out on Facebook, MeWe, um, Parlor. Um, I think we've got a little bit of presence on Rumble and then of course YouTube and then the podcast and there's also a blog. So the background noise is my generator. I apologize, but it's the only way I can get going tonight and uh, the show must go on. You know how it goes, right? So let's get right into it. Um, let's talk about the chlorite mine. Lost Mines under lostmines.net this is a website that's associated with the uh, Junior Miners, um, which looks at mining opportunities and also promotes different claims that are for sale. 
I've talked about them before. They've got a video here, the Chlorite New Mexico Old Silver Mines. You can find out about a lot of mines by subscribing to this email. Let's see if I can find it for you. Um, it's Junior Miner, if you look it up on the internet, it should pop up. And you can request to be on his list. Um, there's a lot of mines that it talks about here, um, but we'll just look at one today. Years back, a lot of towns had the same names. Uh, some of them were chloride. Yeah, there's a chloride in Arizona. Well, there's also one in New Mexico. We, there is uh, where a lot started back in 1879 when Harry Pry, who was a prospector and a mule skinner, he was packing some freight through the area that was known as the Black Range Mountains. He went along the trail and he noticed some silver ore along the side of the mountain. He grabbed what he could with his hands of ore and proceeded to deliver his goods. Once he got to town, he took some of these samples to the local assayer and found out this was very high-grade silver. The term chloride of silver is called that because of mother load. Um, and the mother load there became known as the pie load. Once word got out about this, the area was swarming. The town popped up overnight. It's spelled P-Y-E. Maybe it's Pai. Now the area was well known for being Apache country at that time. Of course, anybody wouldn't take too kindly to a bunch of uh, people coming to their area, taking over and building and shooting. Uh, so Apaches did not like this, of course. And they killed um, the man who discovered this, Harry Pai. And uh, he, he and two other men died and they were killed. And then in the early 1880s, the town had grown in size. Um, that was in 1870, 1881, but through the 1880s, the town grew. By 1883, Chloride had about 3,000 people. There was three saloons, three stores, a couple of eateries, a lumberyard, a candy store, a they do not have a history of anyone being hung on it. But these mines continued popping up, large employment by the many mining companies that came in. The Silver Monument Mine was the main big mine that employed most of the people. Other mines in the area included the White Mountain, the New Air Mine. And during this time, about $600,000 worth of silver was mined out. Now remember, an ounce of silver used to be a dollar back in those days. <laughs> um, so that was not a lot of money, you know, and now that same hunk of silver, I don't know what silver is anymore. Is it $20, $30 an ounce? I mean, that same uh, ounce of silver would be worth 20 to 40 times as much, right? Depending on what the price is. So that was a lot of money back then. $600,000. That was like $6 million today, really. By 1896, the ore started to get a little bit more sparse. Some of the mines started to close up. wasn't as profitable. Um, the monetary standard was changed from silver to gold. 
and the price of silver plummeted. That destroyed any hope for the mines to continue, and people moved on. By by the year 1900, there was less than 100 people living in the town. Today, it's just a ghost town. There's maybe 20 or so residents that live around the area. The old Pioneer store has been refurbished and other buildings. There's also a museum there if you want to go visit that. So there's the town of Chlorite, New Mexico, as uh, brought out at lostmines.net. You can check that out. Many other mining stories if you can't wait for us to uh, talk about those in the future. Now, if you like to design jewelry, um, you know, you're into rocks and minerals, or you want some design ideas. Now, I talk about Fire Mountain Gems. They're not a sponsor of the show, but they always have good uh, information. Now, yeah, I know it's beads, but you know what? You can do the same thing with rocks and gems and beads that are made of rocks or even rocks you fashion yourself. So go there um, and subscribe to their email and you'll get these ideas. Right now, they've got an idea about Christmas tree earrings, which is just these stones layered. The one on the bottom is kind of a triangle as the base and then a succession of uh, discs, I guess you could say. They're kind of a flat crystal, but you could use discs and stack it uh, with red on the tip or a little gold tip on the top um, part of the earring and then a red stone and then a green stone and a red stone and then two greens on the bottom. Looks pretty cool. They've got, I've seen snowmen ideas, all sorts of holiday seasonal type stuff and they have all kinds of ideas like that all the time if you want to check that out now new mineral discovered at the national nature museum this was uh information came from banaka pan night and she published this on the 11th you go to d-e-l-a-n-o dot l-u and you will find out about this new mineral that was discovered in a museum. So I was gonna kind of set this up differently. I was gonna say, hey, do you know where most, where a lot of minerals are discovered, a lot of fossils are discovered? Well, believe it or not, a lot of these things are discovered in museums. So when they go back and they look at these old archives, I mean, most museums have storage rooms filled with all sorts of fossils and antiques and documents and minerals and all these different things and they don't have time to find out what they are and put them on display. So as they do their research and different groups go in there and research these archives, sometimes they discover stuff that makes them go, wow, you know, huh, this thing was socked away in a drawer thinking that, you know, maybe they didn't know anything about it or it wasn't that exciting. And all of a sudden they find out something kind of exciting. So in this case, this sample... Um, is leprosonite, L-E-P-E-R-S-O-N-N-I-T-E. This was discovered in 1982. Um, he identified it. It's a bright yellow um, specimen. It has some uh, crystallization and hairs. Uh, some of the crystals form in a fan, a long spheres, or even round kind of like wavelite. If you're familiar with wavelite, I dig on wavelite. It's green. It's, uh, I think it's, a, it's kind of an uh, aluminum type uh, or, or mineral associated with that. I love it. This one actually has a few little dots that are kind of similar to that 
uh, structure where it looks like a little yellow uh, round flower or burst. Pretty cool. Now, why they were looking at this, again, this dug this up out of the archives, started checking it out a little bit thorough, and they discovered within it was this gadolinium. It's G-A-D-O-L-I-N-I-U-M. And these, it's a rare earth mineral, was discovered by a Czech uh, researcher um, and identified uh, by a Belgian geologist. So they looked at it and found out it is a new rare earth uranium mineral and has been uh, listed since last October. And uh, this is pretty exciting for the scientific world whenever we find a new mineral. This week, we're going to talk about two new minerals, so kind of a really neat week to check out. Um, again, you can go see this at D-E-L-A-N-O dot L-U. Now, Minnesota, they are looking at the mining rules. Um, are these adequate? Now, when I see this type of verbiage, I kind of know that nowadays... There probably is a group of people that don't want to do any mining. And I'm not going to sit here and argue that this type of mining is good or bad because I really don't know enough about it. But um, when the public gets an opportunity to weigh in, they probably should. KBJR6.com has the article, Minnesota Let's public weigh in on adequacy of mining rules. They have these cylinders and samples that have been taken out because obviously the Twin Metals Minnesota company wants to do some mining. They have uh, a huge ore samples containing copper. Um, and you look at some of these samples, you can just see that there is a very metallic look to them. Very thick, some of them. Some of them are kind of thin. But uh, this is looking very good. They have a mine that is near a wilderness area, so there's some concern there. Um, certainly don't want to pollute that area. This article also came out of the Associated Press. But uh, I would say whenever you have an opportunity, if you're in Minnesota, um, keeping mining areas open usually will improve the prospects of you being able to do um, recreational collecting so we definitely want to keep that open and um, like I said I don't know all the details on this but you know if they're doing it very clean and um, it's going to benefit the community and keep areas open um, then it certainly would be something I would want to support but uh, we need to do a little bit more research before I could just sign off on it off this one article so if you're in Minnesota you might want to look into that. The Boundaries Waters uh, Canoe Area Wilderness is what it was near. So you might want to research that. Now, this article, we did talk about it last week. The huge, largest emerald discovery in Zimbabwe. Um, amazing. The reason I want to talk about it is because at the website for Lifestyle, um, it's O-N-M-A-N-O-R-M-A. Oh, excuse me, O-R-A-M-A. So let me try that again. O-N-M-A-N-O-R-A-M-A-N.com. Largest emerald discovered in Zambia to go under the hammer soon by Inus. That 
huge emerald. If you don't remember, 7,528 carats. This is a whopper. It's been named uh, an African name, which actually means rhino, okay? Because it does have kind of one spear that sticks out pretty far on this massive, massive, beautiful, beautiful gem. The world's single largest emerald producing mine um, is what produced this. And um, it is going to go up for auction. They're expecting the viewing to take place this month. And a proceeds, some of the proceeds will go to support a conservation program in Zimbabwe critical to protecting the black rhinoceros. So uh, I guess that's good that we can put some money toward uh, preserving that beautiful animal and creature. Now, kids, uh, cover your ears. This is the ancient penis worms revealed in fascinating insight to early animal evolution according to the article at inverse.com, I-N-V-E-R-S-E.com. Um, I think this is a very Philodian uh, type of an article if you want to analyze it like that. This so-called penis worm doesn't look like you know, it looks, you know, it's elongated, but it has these, uh, it has a weird little parachute tip that sticks out at the top like a chimney. Um, and then it has these, these hairs on the, the bulbous part, we'll say. And then down the longer part of it, the length of it, it has these, uh, little spikes. So this ancient fossil here, a small fleshy creature no more than an inch in length had uh, spines that were teeth basically used to crush food lived in muddy shallow waters they say uh, potentially millions of years ago and uh, they think it looks strikingly like a human and you know what but uh, yeah I guess if you use your imagine your perverted imagination then I guess you could say that but they have a fossil of it here. Um, it's an imprint, basically. And it looks like it has eaten a bug, is what it looks like. It, has, it looks like it has a bug in its stomach. So kind of an interesting uh, casting here. The newly discovered penis worm found in southern China. Um, the biggest worms may reach up to four to six inches, it says here. Don't laugh. <laughs> and uh, they feel the body is broken into three parts, the tail, the trunk, and spiny appendage, um, which is the outside part that they are referring to. And uh, this is a new discovery. I bet they're probably living down at the bottom of the ocean right now, and they just don't know about it. So anyway, there it is. Um, they do say it would keep part of its body potentially in a... Uh, shell or casting of something else and say they liken this behavior to a hermit crab of course they're just guessing that uh, this could use this shell to hide itself um, yeah I don't know very kind of interesting as you read more about it but uh, there's quite an article around here and 
you, there's several fossils if you want to check out this article. Again, inverse.com. Just look up uh, penis worm and it, it'll, it'll show up. <laughs> All right. Pound for ounce, Cave Creek Stamp Mill celebrates Arizona gold mining. Ah, if you like gold mining, um, you can go to the Cronkitten or Cronkit News or Kite News. Cronk, it's C R O N K I T E News dot A Z P B S dot org. So it's the Cronkite. Oh, okay, like like uh, Walter Cronkite. Cronkite News, Arizona, um, and there is the article. If you look up Cave Creek Stamp Mill, they have uh, steel rods that weigh a thousand pounds. These were used in the stamp mill to pulverize gold bearing rock into sand, which would release the metal from the ore, and then it could be refined with possibly mercury to gather up these small pieces of gold. The stamp mill was a 19th century invention that saved the miners from having to use donkeys and spin around a big rock in a a round giant bowl, an raster is what they're called. This could produce much more crushed rock to produce much more gold. Cave Creek Museum, Arizona gold mining experience is there if you want to know the history of mining. They have monthly demonstrations of the Golden Reef Stamp Mill and Tramway to show you what it was like back then at the Cave Creek Mining District where the first claims were made in the 1870s. The demonstrations will continue on through May. Um, They need water um, on this, so the miners at that time, because this was a dry area, built these uh, tramways or uh, chutes or troughs to transfer the water to the stamp mill at the lower elevation. The Golden Reef Stamp Mill was built in 1910 on the Continental Mountain Northeast Town. It was donated to the museum in 2008. It has been restored and it is there where you can actually watch it work. It is an old antique piece of machinery and uh, pretty cool. They've got a uh, kind of a metal smithing shop there They have ore that you can look at. You can see this stamp mill actually working. Really cool. They've got pictures of it here at the website that you can check out. Get a feel for what the old timers went through to get that gold that helped build this country and make United States a lead producer in gold back in the 1800s all the way to the turn of the century. Um, They go into history about how this mill operated, um, how the shaft was treated, and uh, that this area got about a quarter millions of gold at Cave Creek in about 50 years. Uh, wasn't very profitable because they spent over $2 million. So that mine did not do very good. And uh, now it is just a great place to look at some of the history of mining. Let's see. Um, Let me close some of these and get on over to... uh, I want to do a little bit of uh, dinosaur. Well, first let's talk about the 40 best diamond testers in 2021. We're not going to go through all 40, but we'll just talk about it briefly. 
Jeff Lampkin um, did this article back in November 12th. You can go to GamePolar.com if you want to find out about diamond testers. There's some great reviews there. These little contraptions um, are used to help you decide if this is a real diamond or not. Um, so this site here claims they will help you find one that is a professional diamond checker, diamond tester, and you can find one no matter what your budget is because um, they have an in-depth analysis here and you can find out about these and the detail, whoop, darn, I just zipped through it, real lickety split there. Um, we'll look at the first one here, okay? The first one is the HMKIS Diamond Tester Pin, High Accuracy um, Diamond Tester, and you gotta go to Amazon if you wanna check that out. And he has a whole list of them here, like I was saying, on and on. Silicool Diamond Tester, um, Jim Oro Tester, and also Persidium Instrument Jim Testers seem to be some of the most popular. Um, the first article is about the H. MKIS diamond tester pin, highly accurate uh, jewelry diamond tester, 60 times mini LED magnifier, professional diamond selector for novice expert, thermally conducted meter, and such. Here's what it says about this diamond um, tester. Fast and safe diamond selector tester designed for quick, precise, and safe testing. Easy to use. Real diamond will emit sounds and lights, uh, plus or minus nine point, no harm to diamonds, magnification, 60 LED magnification with batteries. It has a small microscope for gems, coins, antiques, stamps, reading inspections. Um, it uses a, it, oh, it has intuitive design, fake crystals such as cubic zirconium, Glass crystals will be no sounds and no lights. And uh, you can find out more about this. So this is kind of how they all are. They all work that way. Um, some of them have other features and things like that. But if you're going to be buying a diamond, you might want to look into getting um, this. Now the moon. Believe it or not, the moon has a top layer that has the minerals in it that has enough oxygen to sustain 8 billion people for 100,000 years. At space.com, that's the article by John Grant. It goes on to describe that the moon's surface uh, actually does have an atmosphere on the moon. I don't know if you're aware of that. Some people think there's no atmosphere on the moon. Um, that's kind of what I had thought for quite a while. But there is actually a uh, very thin uh, atmosphere. It is composed mostly of hydrogen, neon, and argon, which is a gas, and uh, not going to sustain life. But there's plenty of oxygen. It just isn't gaseous. It's in a form of rock dust and rocks on the moon's surfaces that oxygen could be extracted from. How would you do this? Well, 
it's kind of um, the same way um, that aluminum's made, uh, and it is kind of a uh, electrolysis, I guess, if you were. It says minerals such as silica, aluminum, and iron and magnesium oxides dominate the moon's landscape. All the minerals contain oxygen, but not in the form we can breathe and access. So it is uh, not really a soil. It is more minerals because soil like the earth has, has organisms and things in it that uh, are valuable for life to grow. So the moon's surface is basically been the same. They call it regolithic. So it's derived from hard rock, from its parent material. It's just the same. It's been that way for a long, long time. It is in its original untouched form. So one substance goes in, two come out. So the moon's made up of approximately this, this regolithic layer, about 45% oxygen, but it's very tightly bound to those minerals. So if you use electrolysis, this can release the oxygen um, and form aluminum oxide, commonly known as alumina via electrodes to separate aluminum from oxygen. That's what we do here on Earth. So this could be done to release the byproduct oxygen in a nutshell. And they estimate that uh, that would work for a long time. So what is the practicality of making all this oxygen? Well, pretty tough because it would take some pretty substantial equipment to get up there on the moon. But a Belgium-based startup, Space Application Service, announced that they're building three experimental reactors to go up there and improve the process of making oxygen with this electrolysis a little bit of electricity being pushed in through the um, molecules to release the oxygen and then be able to capture it. So this is something they're doing. They're hoping by 2025 um, this will be part of the European Space Agency uh, Resource Utilization Mission to the Moon. It's called ISRU, and that is where they will figure out if they have the technology to start making enough oxygen to sustain uh, a person up there, or more, hopefully, okay? A new species of dinosaur discovered by a retired doctor, um, they're calling him the big-nosed dinosaur. Now, I'm going to share a dumb joke with you. There was a, a guy who had a very... He had a very big nose. Um, and let's see. Yes. No, he had a wooden he had a wooden eye. That's what it was. There was a guy who had a wooden eye, and he saw a girl across the room with a very big nose. And his friend was like, hey, that girl, well, she's just standing over there. Why don't you go check her out? And he's all, nah, I don't really want to, you know. I have I have this wooden eye, and she, I don't want her to say anything about it. And he's like, oh, come on, man. You know, she's got kind of a big nose. She's, she's probably be excited for you to come over and talk to her. She's been standing over there for a while. So finally gets his courage up, and he goes over there, and he says, hey, would you like to dance? And she says, would I? And he goes, big nose, big nose. Okay, now on with the big nose dinosaur. This dinosaur has an unusually large nose. 
He's four size. Uh, his nose is his nose or his body says that this huge herbivore is four times the size of a king size bed. I looked at another article. It said he was twenty six feet long, um, and he does have a huge nostril. This uh, where was it discovered? It's the latest host of new dinosaur discoveries dis- uh, discussed by the Science National History Museum in recent weeks. But guess what? Again, this was discovered inside a museum. <laughs> uh, if you go to dailymail.co.uk and look about the uh, meet the dinosaur with the in- extremely large or unusually large nose, you can read this article by Sam Tonkin. And uh, there's a picture of it there, quite interesting looking. Um, it is... I don't know, it almost looks like a bird, kind of. But uh, it's an ankylosaur theropod, and uh, it was some 26 feet long. I'm looking at the actual fragment of the fossil, and, um, yeah, it's kind of just a chunk. You know, it's not really all that much that they found. They did notice that it had 28 teeth, which is about at least four to five more teeth than similar iguanodons that uh, are found in this type of uh, species but uh, yeah 28 up to 28 teeth they said 20 this particular one had 26 but they feel that they could have up to 28 teeth Um, it was discovered in 1978 but it's been revisited uh, again in the museum and now they're like oh look at this this is something different but again, when they're just looking at bone fragments, it's really hard to try to put together what it looked like because they don't even have the whole nose tip of it. When you look, they have this one picture where they show the fragments that they've actually found, and they're kind of speculating that the nose continued out based on the top and bottom pieces that they found of the skull and the jaw. All right, next article. Um, there's a couple articles on the big nose dinosaur. The other one is at theguardian.com. New species of big nose dinosaur discovered by retired doctor. This is in the Isle of Wight, um, where you can go and look at it. They're always discovering a lot of stuff over there. And it is an iguanodon uh, discovered again in the museum. And there he is walking down the beach, Jeremy Lockwood. All right, Isle of Wight. Okay, next story. A new rare mineral is found. Uh, Not rare, but it's so rare that it's never been identified till now. Now, this was hypothesized quite some time ago that this mineral existed at usatoday.com this mineral shouldn't exist on earth's surface but researchers found it inside a diamond by gabriella miranda you can see pictures of it here Um, as you scroll down the videos will come on by themselves they've got a picture of this kind of a yellowish um, diamond not a super high quality diamond but uh, kind of a crystal shape if you've ever seen diamonds how they have the edge kind of cool it's a piece of that and then inside of it they've discovered this interesting little inclusion 
Um, this diamond, they felt, came from deep within the earth. And what is in it, I found more information about it in an article called Dave Mayoite. Um, it's the first calcium silica perovsky. It's P-E-R-O-V-S-K-I-T-E, ite, perovskite. So this came, according to this article, peer-reviewed publication, from deep within the Earth's mantle, discovered inside this diamond. Um, it's the first time a high-pressure calcium silica uh, perovskite has ever been identified as a natural occurring mineral from the Earth's lower mantle, according to researchers who report this. Um, it was found trapped inside the inclusion, inside this deep earth diamond. Amazing. They feel it was be, it was 660 kilometers below the Earth's surface. And Dave Monite was named to honor Dave Mayo, a prominent experimental high-pressure geophysicist that confirmed this new mineral by the International Mineralogical Association. Um, and there it is. So it's very important mineral in the lower mantle um, because it concentrates elements that are incompatible in the upper mantle, including rare earths and radioactive isotopes that make contra uh, important contribution to the Earth's mantle. Uh, very interesting. They talk on and on about this. This is a great article. If you want to get in depth on it, you want to go to E-U-R-E-K-A-L-E-R-T dot org, EurekaAlert.org, and look up Davemonite, D-A-V-E-M-A-O-I-T-E, first calcium silicate. Pretty cool. So you have all the information on that. Um, Mars, let's talk about Mars. They have seen things now that no one has ever seen before. Written by Kim Lee at D1 Softball News. The letter D, the number one, softballnews.com. NASA Mars rover sees things no one has ever seen before. They have a picture of it here. It's a round uh, piece, probably the sample that they took. They scraped off the piece to re veal the top layer and these minerals that are in there they feel also add to the proof that this could have been a mineral from um, water now they are kind of grainy but uh, they're inspecting this and seeing it because when they first dug it and looked at it uh, they were they got pictures of the top surface but they hadn't got any magnified piece uh, pictures because the last eight months, the operations on Mars um, have had a kind of a snag because of solar uh, issues and things like that. So they weren't able to do a whole lot except drill holes and things like that. So now they have more data to review and check and see. Um, they feel Mars was much wetter and potentially uh, habitable. So. That remains to be seen, but every time they, they find something, they are trying to say that that is possible. Morganite. This is a beautiful pink gemstone that is the ultimate symbol of love, according to the E-Times, Entertainment Times. 
Um, this is in uh, India, indiatimes.com. If you look up Morganite, you will find this article um, dated on November the 12th. They have a spectacular uh, faceted Morganite right there. It's just beautiful. Um, they talk uh, about in this story as if Morganite could talk. And they talk about uh, Queen Cleopatra and Alexander the Great, their love for emeralds. And then they talk about uh, uh, such famous people as, who the heck was it? Someone in Siberia. I can't remember what it was. Oh, Queen Cleopatra, perhaps on a green emerald. And then they talk about aquamarine. And they say that, that those two stones, the emerald and aquamarine, share the DNA of morganite because they're both they're both a type of burl. So George Coons discovered uh, morganite in 1910. Uh, he actually discovered it in Madagascar and uh, Africa, off the African coast. And uh, he was the lead uh, gemologist at that time. And uh, he named it after J.P. Morgan because, uh, you know, he received funds that helped um, – contribute to some of his escapades looking over the world for gemstones. Morganite is very popular. It is pink. It is the ultimate symbol of romantic uh, uh, romance. Very popular as an engagement ring. They have some earrings and different pictures of ways of using it. It says um, they talk about gold here and saying that it looks very good with rose gold but it can also work with yellow gold. Rose gold is the best because it, it complements every skin color, they say. The pink hue and uh, gold type, uh, rose gold complement every type of skin tone. Uh, the cuts that are popular are the princess cushion, round cuts, emeralds are becoming more popular. The cushion is really kind of cool. But, man, they have some pretty ones. Some of the fabulous ones are coming out of Brazil. Uh, there is some coming out of uh, San Diego mountains at one time, hills out there. All right. Marie Antoinette's diamond bracelet goes to auction. They're expecting it to fetch 2 to $4 million. If you go to um, YouTube.com, um, Yahoo Finance actually has a shorts Hashtag shorts, hashtag Marie Antoinette bracelet. Um, you can look that up as well. I think that would be um, a Twitter thing. I don't do Twitter. But um, beautiful diamond bracelets that once belonged to Marie Antoinette going to be auctioned up at Christie's in uh, Geneva for, they expect, 2 to $4 million. Now let's talk about a gold rush. Gold Rush, and then our last story after that will be about a field trip. A gold rush is sparked by glittering rocks found at Pataz work sites. Um, the author is Mugantan Venar, and he put this out on the 10th. At first, when they did this road cut, these rocks were everywhere. We might have we might have already talked about this, but they regenerate stuff a lot. Um, People started gathering up all this rocks and stuff, and then they found out, hey, it's not gold, it's fool's gold. But fool's gold 
could have uh, gold in it. So I would say it would be worth looking some more. If you're interested in looking at that story, it's the star.com.my. You can find out more about this gold rush of, um, of this mineral. Now, at the OBMS, Orange Belt Mineralogical Society, um, I get their newsletter. They talk about everything that's going on. They've got some real pretty pictures here of some geodes um, that have been collected in the area. They've got a picture of the doggies up in the hills there. And they are saying the Ukaipa Gym and Mineral Society is planning to go to Wiley Wells. This is an awesome area to collect geodes, guys. You can still get a lot of geodes. If you go with a club, you'll find something. Um, their website is https semicolon backslash backslash www.yvgms.org and uh, you can find out everything about this trip, what you can find. I mean, there's black agate there, there's purple lace agate there, there's uh, plissamine, there's cinnamon beds, there's the strawberry beds, there's the potato patch, geodes, 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 geodes. There is nodules, there's agate, there is a, a, a type of opal there that has some orangish coloration to it and some white opalization through it. Nearby, you can shoot on over for petrified wood. There's Pebble Terrace nearby where fossilized stromatolites and other jade and agates can be found. Just an awesome field trip, guys. Um, if you want to go on a great trip, it's going to be on the 20th. A lot of times we used to do Thanksgiving over there. So fun, guys. Hey, thanks for stopping by RadicalRocks.com and supporting the channel. Remember... Rockhounds don't die, they petrify.